Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Second quarter 2020 financial results conference call will begin momentarily. I would like to remind you that today's remarks contain forward-looking statements within the meaning of applicable securities laws. Such statements are based on assumptions that may not materialize and are subject to risks described in CN Second Quarter 2020 financial results press release and analyst presentation documents that can be found on CN's website. As such, actual results could differ materially. Reconciliations for any non-GAAP measures are also posted on CN's website at www.cn.ca. Please stand by. Your call will begin shortly. Welcome to CN second quarter, second quarter 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Paul Butcher, Vice President, Investor Relations. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Butcher. Well, thank you, Patrick. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us for CN second quarter 2020 earnings call. I would like to remind you about the comments already made regarding forward-looking statements. With me today is J.J. Ruet, our President and Chief Executive Officer, Ghislain Hull, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Rob Riley, our Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Keith Reardon, our Senior Vice President, Consumer Product Supply Chain, and James Cairns, our C- Senior Vice President, Rail-Centric Supply Chain. I do want to remind you to please limit yourselves to one question so that everyone has the opportunity to participate in the Q&A session. The IR team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to CN's President and Chief Executive Officer, Mr. J.J. Ruet. Well, thank you, Paul, and good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our second quarter earning call. In keeping with our commitment to safety and essential services, Our people have quickly pivoted to working safely under the new normal of COVID-19. In Q1, we told you about our proven ability to be resilient to any challenges. In Q2, we proved it again, and CN's operation never slowed down for the pandemic. And we will be ready and prepared if there is a second wave. As we look back, This was among the toughest quarter of my career with heightened pandemic concern of our employee and a sharp drop in volume of 18% in revenue ton miles. But thanks to our people and our leaders, we perform very well. We take pride in delivering an essential services to our national economies. Our perennial financial strength is serving us very well in these current times. 
CN generated $1 billion free cash flow during a quarter of severe recession. We delivered an adjusted operating ratio of 60.4%, and we continue to aim for a minimum of $2.5 billion of free cash flow this year. CN is built to last. And even in these challenging times, I'm proud that we continue to demonstrate why ESG is a hallmark of CN. Namely, our carbon footprint continues to decrease, having delivered another record of fuel efficiency. Today, we will speak to the short term, our costs, and our resiliency to last this pandemic. And today, we will also speak to our investment in the long term in our, in our contribution to the economic recovery. Rob will walk you through the strength of our operation in this new normal. He will highlight progress we are continuing to make in cost takeout, in bringing technology to the railroad industry, and in the safety culture at CN. He will also highlight his outstanding performance in fuel efficiency. James and Keith will speak to the expected, ex- expected sequential volume trend uh, for the quarters to head. And we know also uh, by now you know our long-term commitment to the grain business and the major investment that we've announced here today. Ghislaine will give you color on our solid balance sheet and the special one non-cash charge that we are using to push PSR further by trimming non-core parts of our network. So in summary, a good quarter in the middle of a recession. We quickly learn how to operate under the new normal of COVID-19 for quarters to come. We proved again our cost resiliency that will help us deliver in the near term. And we reaffirm our confidence in the future by maintaining our dividend policy, reaffirming our $2.9 billion CapEx in 2020 and announcing a new $150 million investment for 2021, targeting the long-term grain export business. On that note, I will pass it on to Rob. Rob? All right, thank you, JJ. Our results in the second quarter are showing you the strength of our CN team and of our operating model. In these extraordinary times, the team reacted quickly and aggressively. We adjusted resources to declining volumes, increased productivity and efficiency, and served our customers. All of that while improving our overall safety record with less injuries and less accidents on a year-to-date basis. Finally, we will see some lasting structural changes following COVID-19, and I'll provide you with some, some, some of those examples. I'm very proud of the CN team that proved again our culture of operational resiliency as we are leading the industry on many fronts. Now let me walk you through some of the details. During the quarter, the team responded accordingly to the significant volume drops in right-sizing our resources by idling four locomotive shops as well as four additional switching yards. We laid up one out of every three locomotives. Over 20,000 rail cars were stored, while our active online car inventory was down 20%, and approximately 4,000 employees were furloughed this year. From a productivity standpoint for the second quarter, the team set an all-time best-ever fuel efficiency record while avoiding an additional 29,000 tons of CO2 emissions and saving an additional $7 million in fuel expense directly from our fuel efficiency initiatives and execution. Sequentially, fuel efficiency improved 8% from last quarter. That means we moved 8% more tonnage the same distance with the same amount of fuel. 
We continue to be the North American Class 1 railroad leader in fuel efficiency using a little more than eight-tenths of a gallon of fuel per 1,000 gross ton miles. Train weight and train lengths reached all-time historic levels as we were able to move more freight on every train start. Crew starts were reduced 21%, while RTMs were down 18%. Crew productivity exceeded all-time record levels, and train speed was up 5% year over year. As I noted last quarter, we also took advantage of the additional time on our tracks with fewer trains operating to strengthen our infrastructure. As a result, we've seen our rail and tie gang productivity improve up to 25% year over year. Also, as I've mentioned previously, from a mechanical standpoint, we reacted with a plan and a purpose by laying up our least reliable locomotives first and laying them up in good order status that allows us to get them back into service quicker when needed. During the quarter, we've seen locomotive reliability and availability percentages improve year over year while locomotive dwell was reduced, fully utilizing our assets while doing it with fewer shops and less headcount. You can see that we once again demonstrated our culture of, op culture of operational resiliency, even during a tough quarter, and we continue to look ahead to further improve our efficiency through challenging times. Now let me uh, highlight some of the initiatives we are building on and that will provide lasting structural changes. The idle locomotive shops and switching yards will remain closed. We will continue to improve train size year over year. Fuel efficiency initiatives will continue to produce record outcomes. More of our training will be performed virtually, and we continue to advance the capability of our handheld mobile devices that all train crews have now. Through this digitization process, we have and are eliminating some 30 million printed pages of paper annually at CN, removing hundreds of shared printers and kiosk terminals while reducing the COVID-related exposures associated with them. Further on a technology forefront, our automated track inspection program and automated inspection portals continue to provide benefits with our train accident ratio reduced 22% year over year. Finally, our operations team is tied very closely with James and Key's teams matching resources to projected sequential volume return, and we are ready and prepared for additional waves of COVID. That, I'll turn it over to James. Thank you, Rob. Like all Class 1 railways, we saw a significant decrease in demand related to the pandemic. At the same time, thanks to our unique geographic reach, we set all-time records in the quarter for Canadian coal, Canadian grain, West Coast propane, and wood pellets. Prince Rupert gives us a structural advantage that cannot be replicated and creates supply chain resiliency that helps our customers win in their end markets in good times and bad. We set new records for grain for the last four consecutive months. Our customers have invested heavily in new country elevators on CN and new export capacity in Vancouver. In order to support these investments, we will be acquiring 1,500 additional high-capacity hopper cars for 2021 that would create capacity for us to continue to set new records for Western Canadian grain through next year. These new high-capacity cars allow us to ship up to 20% more wheat and 40% more canola using the same train resources, creating an overweighted benefit for CN, giving the commodity mix of our business. Wood pellets in particular was a good news story in Q2. 
Our year-over-year volume growth of about 15% has come from expansion projects across British Columbia and Alberta, with more production coming online through the end of 2020. We set an all-time record for West Coast export propane volume in the second quarter and reached a new sustainable run rate of 70 cars per day, working with our partners Altagas and Ridley Terminals. The CN Prince Rupert supply chain offers propane producers access to the best netback markets in Asia, and we expect to see continued growth in West Coast propane exports via Prince Rupert through the balance of this year and next, as Altagas continues to set new records and Pemina starts up their new facility early in 2021. Coal unloads at Ridley Terminals of 3.2 million tons for the quarter was an all-time record as well. West Coast coal volume was up over 22% in Q2 compared to the previous year. There is a slow sequential recovery in our Manifest franchise, and we expect that May was the low watermark for our carload business. Our lumber franchise in particular started to recover late in Q2, with commodity pricing improving by around 40% from April to June. We expect to see sequential growth for the balance of the year and now seeing demand at pre-COVID levels. The crude oil price war and demand destruction caused by the pandemic severely impacted our crude, frac sand, and fuels business much more than our general manifest and bulk business. We are seeing demand come back for diesel, ethanol, and frac sand with sequential growth from Q2 into Q3. We continue to invest in lockstep with our customers to facilitate carload growth. This is made possible by our continued ability to price ahead of railway cost inflation across all business units at CN. I'll now turn it over to Keith. Thanks, James. The reach and scale of our network and the variety of products and services that we offer have allowed for our consumer businesses to be resilient in the face of volatile demand. The acquisitions of H&R and Transex have amplified our industry-leading refrigerated services. This allowed us to grow in the consumer and grocery freight waves that we saw in Q2. CN's wholesale partners were also able to drive growth in these segments. Our Q2 overseas business fared well in the face of lowered consumer demand and significant trans-Pacific blank sailings by the ocean shipping industry. We see significant volumes for July and August on the West Coast, and Prince Rupert could see a record in July as carriers reinstitute vessel calls previously scheduled for blanking in Q3. We also see additional vessels being scheduled for ad hoc service as containers sitting on the docks in Asia require more capacity. Strong customer relationships and our extensive network reach has helped CN to win a large portion of these reinstituted and ad hoc vessel calls for Q3. Grain records were not only set in James's carload segment. In June, we moved 60% more containerized grain versus Q2 of last year. The success of the grain container terminal in Regina has been a great addition to the network. Our CSX steel wheel interchanges from the ports of New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia sequentially grew in Q2. In automotive, we are now seeing a welcomed rebound in volumes with the majority of the plants we service continuing to produce during what would otherwise be the traditional summer shutdown. As JJ said, we're focusing on the long term, even as we deliver results during challenging times. We're focusing on costs, right-sizing resources and assets in our multimodal operations. Initiatives are underway in intermodal terminals, our auto ports, as well as our subsidiary operations. 
Our supply chain partners continue to invest in the long-term future of our ecosystems. For example, in Vancouver, DP World Centrum is bringing on more rail capacity as we speak. And in Halifax, the superpost Panamax crane was delivered to PSA a few weeks ago. CN's reach and network scale, the diversity of service offerings, and the structural and capacity improvements that we and our supply chain partners are implementing will produce mid- to long-term growth from the consumer businesses. I'll now pass it on to Gislan for the financial perspective. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Overall, the point I'd like to make is that our strong balance sheet and disciplined cost management allowed us to manage well during a challenging time while continuing to invest for the future. Starting on page 12 of the presentation, I will summarize the key financial highlights of our second quarter performance as we continue to provide essential services to move the North, America, the North American economy. Revenues for the quarter were down 19% versus last year at just over $3.2 billion. As part of our continued efforts on PSR and asset rationalization, we recorded a non-cash charge of $486 million in the quarter resulting from the decision to market for sale certain non-core lines for ongoing rail operations. Our adjusted operating ratio is 60.4%, up 290 basis points versus last year. Adjusted net income was $908 million, or $342 million lower than last year, with adjusted diluted EPS of $1.28, down 26% versus last year. The impact of foreign currency was favorable by $13 million on net income in the quarter, or $0.02 cents of EPS. Turning to page 13, let me highlight a few of our key expense categories on a constant currency basis. Labor and fringe benefit expense was 18% lower than last year. Overall headcount at the end of the second quarter was down 5,100, a 19% decrease year-over-year. Purchase services and material expense was 11% lower than last year. This was mostly the result of lower outsourced services, trucking and transload, and material expenses. Fuel expense was 49% lower than last year, driven by a 39% decrease in price, 20% lower workload, and an all-time record fuel efficiency. Now moving to cash on page 14. Despite a very challenging demand environment, I'm extremely pleased that we generated over a billion dollars of free cash flow in the quarter and close to $1.6 billion through the end of June, nearly double the amount generated for the same period last year. We are the best railroad to go through this unprecedented pandemic with the highest investment grade credit rating in the industry. And in late June, Moody's reaffirmed CN's credit rating of A2 with stable outlook. In fact, our leverage in terms of adjusted debt to adjusted EBITDA at the end of June was lower versus what we reported at the end of Q1. We have plenty of liquidity, and we continue to issue commercial paper at rates that are lower than LIBOR. We opportunistically priced, on April 29th, a 600 million 30-year bond at a coupon of 2.45%, the lowest rate achieved by a Class 1 railroad, and the second lowest ever by any corporate in the U.S. debt capital markets. The company will continue to posit share repurchases in these economic circumstances, and will reassess on an ongoing basis. Let me finish by saying that, as you know, we withdrew our guidance for the year on our last earnings call. We are still not providing guidance at this time, which is consistent with most companies in North America. 
Our scenario analysis for free cash flow that we provided in Q1 still holds. So to sum up, during this quarter, from a financial perspective, we have clearly demonstrated the resiliency of our franchise, delivering value to our long-term shareholders. On this note, back to you, JJ. Thank you, team, and thank you, Slay. Uh, let me wrap this up before the Q&A. So as we speak here, our operations are fluid. Volume is sequentially slowly improving, and we are carefully recalling some train crews and about to resume some training for the 2021 demand. As we look ahead, we remain bullish, and we also have a culture of resiliency. This quarter should give you no doubt that we are ready for anything, whether or not the world goes back to normal in six months or we have a prolonged pandemic. We have the team to get this done. With that, Patrick, we'll now we'll take it over to, uh, to get questions. Thank you. Thank you. Please press star one at this time if you have a question. The first question is from Fadi Shamoun from BMO. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, Fadi. Okay. Good afternoon. Thanks for uh, taking my question here. Um, just uh, quickly, uh, if you can give us some uh, insights into the yield in the petroleum and the uh, material segment, we're up uh, 23%. What's uh, kind of behind this? And if you can maybe help us identify whether there were uh, liquidated damages on the crude by rail business and kind of how, how should we think about the um, uh, uh, rollout of these liquidated damages as we go into 2021? Yeah, so I think uh, James will uh, put that in more in detail, but broadly speaking, I'm not sure exactly what data you're referring, but we are collecting liquidated damage and it's going into our revenue. So James? Yeah. Yeah, Fat as you recall, when we got back into the crude by rail segment in 2018, we secured long-term contracts with with uh, associated liquidated damages that pay out over the life of the contract. So these these payments come in, you know, kind of every month, every quarter until these um, uh, contracts run out, or hopefully the customers start shipping at their you know prescribed contract levels. On the uh, the yield mix question, you know, Fatty, what were you driving at there? Um, you provide more yeah, uh, detail uh, on that question. I'm 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 just looking at the uh, freight revenue per RTM uh, that you've reported for the petroleum and metals and minerals that were up uh, pretty significantly on a year-over-year basis. What's uh, what's uh, kind of behind those increases that you had? In the well, we had a significant cha- significant change of mix on the uh, frac sand and, and crude oil side. These tend to be, you know, very very long haul moves, very heavy RTM moves that just are not with us at, at uh, this time of time because of the, primarily because of the crude crude oil price crash associated with the uh, yeah. demand destruction and COVID. Yeah, so I mean, we're not doing as much crude. We're not doing as much as long, long haul crude. Yeah. Not doing as much fraxin, and uh, we're still collecting uh, the, uh, the the take or pay portion of some of the com- contract commitment customers made with us. Ho- hopefully this uh, helps you with your question, Fadi. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Ravi Shankar from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, Ravi. Uh, thanks. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, JJ, um, International Intermodal has really been a growth engine for the company for the last several years. Uh, can you help us understand how you're thinking of uh, nearshoring as um, a potential um, 
maybe even a risk to the growth of international intermodal over time. Uh, how does uh, CN and, and, and your port partners kind of continue to add value? Uh, and maybe if you can share kind of what kind of discussions you're having with your uh, shipper customers on potentially moving their supply chains uh, to North America. Okay, so let me start. So we are very bullish on the strength of the consumer in North America, even even more so on the consumer living in the U.S. in the big city, uh, because we have a three-course network and we can access some uh, you know highly populated area, and the consumer disposable income is very key to CN's future, and uh, the the product that's uh, most uh, suited to exploit the consumer spending and disposable income is intermodal. And uh, the, the business coming by the port is definitely one of our mid- and long-term strategy to increase our business in that space uh, in two ways. One is to try to earn market share. It's, it is a North American market. The border does not exist when it comes to supply chain. And therefore, we're looking to outperform uh, the economy, which would be outperform the, the part of the GDP that's related to the consumer and play a bigger role in the U.S. Uh, market and competing hard with the uh, East Coast and West Coast uh, Railroad and East Coast and West Coast, West Coast Port. I don't know if uh, you want to add some colors or to some feedback you're getting from uh, specifically customers, uh, Keith? Sure. Um, you know, those that supply their needs, uh, whether it's retail or, or manufacturing in North America, um, they've been not only looking to uh, China over the years, but they've also been uh, sourcing products from Southeast Asia. And, um, and that is still growing. Uh, those plants are still being built. And, um, and what we're seeing is the, the farther south you go, the more economically feasible it is to maybe go through the Suez Canal and then going to the East Coast. So that is one of our strategies, as you know, is the three-coast access that we have at CN, which is unique to uh, than uh, any other railroad does not have that. And uh, that is why we have the strategies in place of Halifax, Quebec City. That's why we see all of these infrastructure projects on the East Coast for us as, uh, as, as risk mitigation, I guess, and, and as an aggressive standpoint to go attract that business to North America through the gateways that we service on our three coasts. So maybe to, to wrap this up, Ravi, Ravi, to answer your question directly as opposed to regarding nearshoring, I think the reality is there will be in-country sourcing all the stuff that's deemed to be essential to a country, medical device, eventually vaccine, and anything related that's bought by our government, who are going to be willing to pay more for uh, those goods that are essential to uh, the current time. But when it comes to consumer product, uh, it's still going to be quality price. And uh, uh, the consumer is going to look at the price tag, number one, the quality, number two, and the country of origin maybe sometime and uh, maybe most of the time, probably not. So I think uh, nearshoring of day-to-day of -day consumer goods, especially the uh, lower value one, uh, that's not going to happen. But if it's a very high value goods, uh, you know, something electronic, something electronic or a computer chip, yeah, the, the labor cost here could do that. Remember, the, the U.S. dollar is very strong, and that's uh, a bit of a challenge to bring in uh, manufacturing back in North America. Thank you for the question. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Sherilyn Radborn from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, Sherilyn. Thanks very much. Good afternoon. Um, 
So on your Q1 conference call, we talked about how at that time you were recalibrating resources weekly and in some cases even twice a week. So I was just curious whether that's still the case or whether at this stage shippers are able to give you a bit more visibility than that. Rob is on top of that. Rob? Yeah, we uh, we continue to be very tight with James and Keith's teams in terms of uh, the expectations out there, and that's been part of our success here in the second quarter and how we've been able to quickly right-size our resources. Um, we are doing it weekly, bi-weekly, in terms of keeping uh, our employees cut in that are on furlough. And, uh, you know, as far as our locomotives, um, we did that with a purpose. As we laid up locomotives, we we laid up the least reliable, um, and we laid them up in places where we could get to them quickly. So, yeah, we stick. We remain very tactical throughout this, uh, Sherilyn, and, and we're ready for whichever way it continue, whichever way it may go here. And if I may add to what Rob said, in June, uh, we pulled car out of storage for the automotive sector, and we recall some crews in Michigan. And as we speak in July, the lumber business has picked up, and we're calling back crews for in the lumber geographic market and putting cars in service. And the business out of Rupert right now is very strong. That's another area where, you know, we, we, are, we have been recalling some crews selectively. Be very mindful of the cost, but at the same time, we are an enabler of the economy. We are an enabler of the recovery. And uh, when some of these segments start to come back, we need to be there for them. And we are. Great. Thank you for Thank the you. time. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Ken Hexter from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hi, Ken. Hey, great. Good afternoon. Um, JJ, maybe digging into that, your thoughts on employees, uh, you know, you're down 5,100 year over year. Maybe just talk about your, your or Rob, your, your thoughts on increasing that sequentially. And then, you know, cost per employee was, was flat year over year. Your thoughts on were there lots of one-time costs that you you held back on in the quarter that we should see going forward. Maybe just talk about the, the pace of return of costs. Thanks. Rob? Yeah, so um, we have, since our low, uh, we saw the trough in terms of volumes in late May, um, and that's really where we spiked or saw our most uh, employees on furlough. You know, as we got into the summer season with vacations and also an increase in volume, we, we selectively called back employees, but it's not on a one-to-one basis uh, as volumes come come back in, and, and uh, we're very methodical about bringing them back, um, especially as we go into the third quarter. And just as Gislan talked about, um, we're still trying to figure out what the future volume is going to be. So, you know, we're very, very careful with all of our assets, not, not just employee resources, but also our locomotives and cars as well. Yeah, and some of these uh, differential are, uh, some of them are furlough. That is that we hope that we will have enough business at some point to call them back. And some are not furlough, meaning they're permanent. Uh, so we, you know, the, we don't have over 5,000 people in furlough. It's more like 3,000. 3,000. And your thoughts on the cost right per? Now. Could cost you say per. that again? Oh, the cost per. I also the the back half of it was just your thoughts on the cost per employee, which was flat. I just want to know if there were one timers, you know, that you pulled out during the quarter that are going to come back uh, as we move through the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Do you have the colors on that? Well, the, um, the, uh, there's a bit of incentive compensation that uh, created a benefit in, uh, in the quarter can, and, um, and maybe that's because when you look at employee and when you look at uh, uh, inflation, uh, it's still running around 2% wage inflation. So 
but there is some uh, benefit related to uh, incentive compensation um, that uh, that has provided some benefits in the quarter. All right. Thank you, Gus. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Chris Weatherby from City. Please go ahead. Yeah, hey, Hi, Chris. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, just kind of curious if you could give a little bit more color on the on the line sales that you announced, and then you know maybe as you think forward, um, if they're non-core, you know maybe what that might mean from a cost savings perspective. Would this be accretive from an OR standpoint as we go into the back half of the year? So they are non-core. I was just saying you want to pick that up. You work on that project pretty much. Yeah, so again, hi, Chris. So, yeah, they are non-core. As, as you remember, many years ago, we did rationalize our network in Canada, um, and um, we've never really done it in, in the U.S., and these non-core lines came with uh, when we bought the WC. They're really non-core lines in Wisconsin. There were non-core lines in Michigan and non-core lines in Ontario. Um, again, um, you know, with the cost with the cost structure of a of a smaller operator, not a class one a railroad like us, uh, and the ability that sometimes they have to get some uh, funding from the government, I think they will be better suited to run these lines that, than we are. And as you know, these lines will continue to feed in into our main line, and continue to and will continue to benefit from the long haul. So. In terms of OR benefit and so on and so forth, uh, I would say, Chris, stay tuned. I think that uh, I think that this is a good step, and, and as you know, this is part of PSR. Part of PSR is you rationalize some of your network, and you have better operators in terms of their cost structure operate some of the uh, non-core lines than we are, but then still keeping the the, the line haul and uh, you know business coming to your main line. So. We're quite excited about this, and uh, and it just shows you and the market that we're pushing on PSR in every fund that we can. Yeah, it's it's on the fundamental of uh, making sure we have a network that uh, has a capital call where it's needed, and uh, in some cases, a short line operator could actually get capital from a state, province, or government, which we don't have access. So it's it's about a model for those uh, for those for those non-core line that we're selling. Okay, thanks, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Benoit Poirier from Desjardins Capital. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you very much. Good afternoon. Could could you maybe provide some color on on the latest question with with respect to the uh, potential proceeds for the the assets and uh, whether you would use the the amount to to, uh, buy back some shares or any thoughts about the the proceeds you, you might use? Yeah, I mean, listen, we're going to try to get as much as we can for these lines. Obviously, uh, we, um, we're we hiring um, uh, bankers to help us market them and so on. And and uh, so I'm not going to lay out what we expect because, again, we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot when we auction these, these lines out and what we get for it. But uh, hopefully we get uh, we get a good amount. We get what they're worth. And... Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll see what we do with the cash. Again, our use of cash policy doesn't change at CN, but as you know, it's first use of cash is towards the business. And, and then we look at shareholder distribution, first and foremost, dividend. And I'm quite proud uh, of our 7% uh, dividend growth this year. I'm quite proud of the consistency of our dividend, which is 16% KGAR since we privatized. And as you know, we've used share buyback to get to a targeted leverage uh, level uh, because this is a, the flexible tool. So, 
you know, the cash will come, uh, and and uh, and uh, and when it does, then we'll figure out what we do. But our use of cash strategy remains the same. That's right. It's uh, investing in a business, dividend, and share buyback. Thank you for the that, question, that, Benoit. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Scott Group from Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Hey, Hi, thanks. Scott. Afternoon, guys. So you you had a slide with some structural cost changes. Any any way to quantify how much that is? And then uh, on the yield side, yields overall were down. Uh, any way to think about some of the moving pieces for the third quarter on on either ref per car or ref per RTM? So maybe Rob can talk give some color into where we we think where there's some permanent uh, takedown in our costs. And uh, regarding the RTM question, I think we're sent for RTM. Maybe you just link and add to that. Well, let's start with Rob. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question, Scott. So, so I mentioned some of that in my my opening comments in terms of some of the shops and some of the yards that will remain closed. Um, we don't anticipate those being opened back up. Um, in terms of locomotive fuel efficiency, of course, I quantified that in there in terms of what we what we got on the quarter, and we'll continue to see record fuel efficiency here with with some of the measures we have in place. So. We'll continue to see that going forward. The train design in terms of uh, what we're doing with train length and train weight, that'll continue. We'll continue to see those improvements uh, year over year into the quarter. So uh, you know, those are some of the structural changes we're looking at, and we see that continuing here for the near future. And just like yeah, yeah, I think, uh, Scott, in terms of cent per RTM, I think we're not, we're not going to uh, uh, provide guidance on cent per RTM on a quarterly basis, but all I can tell you we don't necessarily manage the business on cent per RTM. The mix that we have is the mix that we deal with. I think what we manage is price, and we're quite uh, quite good. And Keith and and James and their teams have done quite a good job actually to manage price. I mean, the price that we're getting is still above rail inflation. It's solid pricing. We continue that way, and uh, and that's uh, so you can expect that to continue in the third quarter and the fourth quarter and going forward. That's right. So some of the takeout will be permanent, and definitely, especially in the month of June, our mix change because the automotive business, as you know, Scott, which is uh, very lightweight and high revenue, that business was almost disappeared. So that had a big impact in the second quarter in our mix, uh, what's happening in the automotive business, namely as, as an example. Thank you. JJ, is your point that – okay, thank you. Go ahead. Okay, is your point on the auto piece that the yield should start to get – better as, as autos coming back? No, the point is more is that, uh, I mean, I think in May we were down 90% in automotive. So if you look at the impact on the CN total book of business, it had an impact on the, the distortion, for example, between gross ton mile and revenue ton mile and what it does to our so-called mix of business. But what's it's important for us is for each carload to make money. And we measure that through revenue to cost ratio, the RCR, which is the reverse of an operating ratio. And when it comes to pricing, we don't look, as you know, on cent per RTM, because when you look at cent per RTM, you're looking at noise, whether it's exchange, mix, uh, length of haul, uh, you name it. I, I provide the car, the customer provides the car. What's really important when it comes to price is same store price, which is the same thing as a retailer does. This sales this year compared to the same sales last year, what's my spread? And anything that doesn't is not a same store sales doesn't go in the calculation of same store price because now it's a different sales. You don't have a comparable, and a lot of these different sales have a huge impact on the on what you call the cent per RTM. So 
That's why we're not focused on cent per RTM. We're focused on same-store sales, and we're focused on the revenue-to-cost ratio, which is a reverse of uh, operating ratio, but per unit, Thank per, you, guys. per customer. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Cormac Gupta from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hello, Cormac. Thanks, and, uh, thanks good afternoon. Uh, my question is uh, just going back to your previous target for operating ratio uh, that you discussed at the investor day before. How do you think about the operating leverage and capital intensity heading into 2021 as volumes recover further and you, you bring back more employees and, and, and pull out some fleet from the storage? Well, right now, maybe I can start and Rob can add in. Right now, we do have capacity on our network, capacity that we built the last two years, capacity that could have, we could have used this year if the economy and the pandemic did not hit us. So obviously, we have capacity to grow. Uh, we also have qualified people, whether to maintain equipment, fix locomotive or run train, and these people are in furlough. And I feel for them, and you know, we hope the business come back to a point where we can recall many of them, uh, eventually, hopefully most of them by 2021, as we get much more efficient, and Rob talked about train length and train weight, you know, the number of people per, per ton mile, if you wish, goes down. That's a significant savings. Uh, the, the overall philosophy and operating ratio is not to be the lowest, not to be the worst. We want to have an operating ratio which is very, cost, uh, very competitive, but at the same time allows us to be able to grow uh, organically with our customers as customers have business to offer to us. I know, Rob, you, you want to maybe share your, your philosophy on operating ratio? Yeah, so, uh, you know, in terms of operating leverage going, going forward here into the third quarter, you know, I mentioned some of the things we're doing and we'll continue to do. We are not bringing back resources on a one-to-one -one basis, and that will continue to, to provide uh, benefits for us. You know, when you go through a quarter like we did, we're able to test and really press the edges in terms of what we're capable of. And we found some of these opportunities through that process. Again, I talked about fuel efficiency, train length. These are things that, uh, you know, when you talk about setting records uh, at CN, that's, some, that's saying something, right? This is a storied, long-storied history of operational excellence. And when you start to set records, and we set a number of them here in the second quarter, that really speaks to the team, that speaks to the operating model, and uh, we've really done a nice job, and we continue to leverage that here going into the third quarter. Yeah. So competitive operating ratio, but also focus on business growth and focus also on inorganic growth, uh, things beyond just rail, things, but things that would be accredited to rail. That's why we have made some acquisition and joint venture. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Brian Offenbach from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, Brian. Hi. Hey, good evening. Thank you. Uh, question for Rob on the technology on the operating side. Um, can you give us an update on the inspection cars? Looks like you're moving to phase two under the FRA um, next month with some reductions on visual inspections. you got Transport Canada on board, it looks like, rolling out through some subdivisions. So maybe you can just give us an update on how this is progressing relative expectations, uh, and at what point do you think you'll be able to quantify some of the benefits, either from an accident reduction perspective, workforce perspective, or even capacity additions uh, yeah, in the future? Very timely question. Rob, you want to? Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to take that one. Thank you for the question. Uh, so we continue to make progress, just as you talked about. In the U.S., of course, we have a pilot program going on with the FRA. We are transitioning to uh, phase two, as you speak. 
as we speak here, as we go into August. What that will mean is 50% less uh, manual inspections. And what that means uh, for us is that, uh, you know, all around our autonomous track inspection program, it's really about, you know, having a safer, more reliable network. It does reduce costs and it unlocks capacity on our network by embedding these in revenue service trains versus a human being on the track. So in terms of quantifying it, we've seen our train accident ratio down 22% year over year, and certainly some of that can be traced back to that. We've tested the line in the U.S. 17 times more than traditional testing right now. So in terms of strengthening the line, in terms of turning our employees into fixers versus finders, um, all of that is coming true. And then in Canada, we're starting to uh, to see um, um, the results of our work with Transport Canada. So we do have an exemption there to begin testing that, and we'll continue to follow the same pattern that we had in the U.S. Again, ultimately, this makes a safer, more reliable network. We do see costs fall out just from the safety aspects of it, and uh, and it does unlock capacity as we go on. Yeah. So Thanks for the potential. question. And uh, you, you're going to hear from us uh, in the months to come that we're adding resource. Uh, we want to help out uh, Rob with uh, top-tier talent as to how we, how we implement and roll out uh, technology to the rail operations. So more to come on that. Thank you, Brian. Okay. Thanks for the update. Thank you. The next question is from Walter Spratton from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hello, Walter. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so, so just on the, on incremental costs here, you guys did a pretty good job of uh, keeping costs contained in the quarter. Uh, so the OR uh, was, degradation was less than 300 basis points. Just curious, obviously your, your cost uh, efforts didn't, it, it, it obviously probably improved through the course of the quarter. And so as you exited the quarter, would it be safe to say that your the, your ability to limit OR impact from continued volume declines here in the third quarter, potentially the fourth, uh, will be moderated such that we don't see a degradation in the operating ratio, or are, we, or, or are they coming out in a way that it's still likely to see some degree of OR degradation as we go through the quarter here, uh, um, excluding fourth quarter with the, uh, uh, with the strike last, last year, uh, just focusing here on the third? So just late. you want to look in your crystal ball? And yeah, I can, I can look at my crystal ball, Walter. First of all, the... I mean, at the end of the day, what we do on costs and what the team did, uh, to your point, on, on the second quarter is quite remarkable. And we've got to remember that we have some headwinds that are quite fixed that we have to deal with. And I've mentioned that at the beginning of the year. Um, we have about $130 million of depreciation that we have to deal with. Um, and we have another, uh, used to be $70 million on pension. Now with um, uh, betterment in uh, pensionable payroll, it's, it's down to 50, but it's still... 50, so we have $180 million of headwind, and if you slice that every quarter, this is cost that we have to deal with. So I think that, uh, you know, you'll, the proof will be in the pudding in, 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 Q, in Q3. I mean, as you know, and JJ made the point, uh, we've never been enamored with the OR at CM. I think that we'd rather be a $20 billion, 60% uh, uh, OR, uh, than, uh, than $15 billion at 59 uh, just do the math. So I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, we will continue to manage costs, and, and we manage both the short term and the long term. So we do make decisions on the uh, to make sure that uh, we know that our report card is coming out every three months, 
and the, the report card will come out in October, and uh, you guys will look at the OR and, and all of the metrics, but we're making decisions as well to make sure that we're well prepared for uh, the winter coming at us, and whether we like it or not, we have a winter in Canada, and for 2021. So, uh, yes, we, uh, so stay tuned. I didn't really answer your question on how the OR will look like because I'm not, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, we, uh, we are very pleased with our OR in Q2, and I'm telling you to stay tuned for Q3. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> just on the, on the headwind on, from depreciation, it's a headwind short term because of the capital program we did the last two years, but at the same time, it says that we're ready to handle much more business, so that headwind eventually become you know, how we're going to be able to grow with the economy when the economy grows or, or as we create product that can gain market share. So uh, that's a whole card for, uh, you know, 2021. And, and James has this program that we announced today on the grain. So these rail cars would be built uh, between now, most of them between now and Christmas, and delivered to CN the first 15 days of January. So they'll be very helpful to contribute to the revenue of the next winter. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Brandon Oglensky from Barclays. Please go ahead. Hello, Brandon. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Yeah, thank you for taking my question. Um, Keith, you sounded, uh, I should phrase it, relatively bullish about intermodal prospects uh, looking into, I guess, quote-unquote peak season. Can you talk about some of those opportunities you mentioned in your prepared remarks to think about, you know, carriers adding back uh, rotations and that you're winning some of that incremental business? Sure. Keith, and, and as I said earlier, we believe in the strength of the consumer in North America. And uh, the market where that shows the most, number one, is automotive. You see that a bit in lumber and automotive, but where there's something to really exploit, where the, the product is really tailor-made to drive the, economy, the consumer economy, that's automotive. Keith? Sure. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't fun going through the uh, beginning of the uh, second uh, quarter and and hearing about blank sailings and, and also the, uh, uh, the challenges that our customers were having and the fact that they thought that was going to be going into the, into the third quarter as well. So it's, uh, it's great that, we, uh, that we've seen a lot of the um, blanks that they had for Q3. They've reinstituted those calls. And uh, right now, you know, uh, on the West Coast, um, we have much less um, noise around the blank sailings than we did during Q2. In fact, they're actually they're adding uh, 11 extra loaders in Q3 on the West Coast, uh, nine on the West Coast and two on the East Coast. Uh, that that's those types of things and the discussions that we have with our customers, um, uh, and and the fact that our boots on the ground folks um, in Asia are telling us uh, the strength of what's going on with orders from North America. Those give us the confidence that I can sit and talk to Rob and and, and ask him. Um, you know, uh, you know, have that discussion about being prepared. As I said, Rupert's probably going to have a uh, uh, a record in uh, in July, and we see the same thing for uh, for August as far as the volume solid on the West Coast. Just say maybe you want to add something something about Transex and a year after the acquisition. Yeah, should sure. be able to accomplish with Transex. That's another sure, JJ. That's another piece of business that we're quite bullish. Um, and uh, I'm happy to report that uh, after a year, and I think Keith and the team uh, is doing and did a, an outstanding job integrating Transex with our, our overall CN family. Uh, as you uh, as you know, um, uh, Brendan, 
big projects or investments, we typically have internal auditor going in and uh, auditing um, the business case and auditing the return to, uh, and reporting directly to the board. So they're not all done yet, but but close. And I'm happy to report that that the return of uh, the investments, both in Transex and H and R, will deliver. Uh, higher than our than our uh, typical uh, ROI threshold that we use at CN of 12%. So this is a good accretive acquisition, and uh, we're quite pleased. And as I said, as I said before, Keith and the team is doing a hell of a job, um, uh, you know, managing this. And uh, and frankly, their OR uh, as we speak is uh, is now the best in class for these types of companies. Like if you look at JB Hunt or some of the others that are best in class. Transex is right there with them. Yeah, the, the mandate for Transex is to compete with the best of best, like GB Hunt and Mavoir. They're not a trucking firm, they're an F model firm, and uh, they've increasing the amount of rail they do since last year. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, thank you, JJ. Thank you. The next question is from David Vernon from, from Bernstein. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Um, Rob, I wanted to, to focus in on the train length and train weight gains that you had in the second quarter. Could you talk to whether, you know, some changes in mix or maybe just lower volume on the network allowed you to kind of extend that? And then what the outlook should be kind of from here? Should we be expecting in this 9,500 9, um, feet length uh, range for the rest of the year, even through the winter months, or should we be expecting this to kind of maybe come off as volume comes back? Rob? Yeah, winter Winter all bets are off. It would be, you know, we'll, we'll see what winter brings, and then we can have that discussion at that point. Um, as far as the the changes we've made, um, we do view those as structural and mix or no mix. Um, what we've done is really take what has been delivered to us and um, make the best out of it. So we're looking at a significant volume drop that we saw this quarter, and and we took action. Part of that was uh, increasing train size and reducing crew starts. And uh, a lot of things come with that when you do that. It, bigger trains lead to greater train uh, fuel efficiency, leads to better utilization of your locomotives. Uh, we saw train velocity improve all during this period as well, 5% year over year. So um, we plan on keeping trains big uh, and looking for more opportunities that are out there. Thanks for the question. There's no, no physical constraints that may come back into the network as volume kind of recovers? Uh, you know, we continue to invest in, in capacity investments, particularly in Western Canada. I think you'll see us continue to do that. Uh, that will allow us to continue to maximize our train size. So um, right now our plans are to continue to keep uh, trains big. That's right. We have construction activities right as we speak here around the Port of Vancouver, Port of, Vancouver, Port of Rupert as well as the North Line to, to Rupert, where we're adding siding uh, during the summer. Thank you for your question. Thanks, guys. Thank you. The next question is from Seldon Clark from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, Seldon. Hey, thanks for the question. Uh, as it relates to the uh, 1,500 grain hoppers that you plan on purchasing in 2021, is there any way to put some numbers around that opportunity next year as it relates to, you know, either volumes or productivity and, and how that differs from some of the previous long-term guidance you've given around grain? Um, and does this uh, maintain CapEx in your more normalized range for 2021, or, or how should we think about it from that perspective? So, so maybe I'll take the first part, and uh, Gislaine can talk about the, 
CapEx for 2021 without getting too deep in the details. So definitely these rare cars are more productive. Uh, therefore, you can move. As you know, the Canadian grain cap, you get paid by the ton mile. Huh? So the more you can put in a car, you get more revenue per car. So obviously the yield of a car which has a higher payload or the profit yield of a train that has a higher payload because each car is heavier and each car is a little shorter, you make the business more profitable. That's why the business case is compelling to really invest long-term in a grain business. So it is, it is, it is profitable. It, is, uh, it has a good return. And the new formula of the grain cap says there is, there is a compelling case to renew your fleet. But as long as that fleet has a higher payload, higher payload per train, higher payload per car. CN is a little more north than my competitor in terms of where we are in the Canadian prairies. And a little more north means a little more canola. Canola is a, is a lighter crop. And the impact on the revenue per car of a lighter crop of these different car is actually beneficial to us. We have a, we even have a better return than if we were moving a lot of wheat, for example. Uh, in terms of revenue impact, without getting too deep in the detail, you look at a book of business on Canadian grain, how we do usually, and obviously we'd like to do more of that. And I think, uh, James, th there was a decision issued by the Canadian government on the grain cap, and it's sort of favorable to the CN as it, this year in terms of the, the MRE. Yeah, I think we had an outweighted benefit on the MRE, you know, compared to, um, you know, the other railway in Canada by about 5%. So we're yeah. very happy with the outcome of the uh, MRE for next crop. Yeah, as of, as of August 1st, the MRE is revised, and uh, it's, it turned out that CN has a 5% favorable spread on that. Gislay, regarding the CapEx for next year? Yeah, maybe. Comment? Yeah, CapEx for next year. Listen, I think um, I think Selden, uh, we're, as I said in my opening remarks, I mean, we're not, we're not providing guidance uh, still. I think we're going to see. We're going to look to see how the recovery and how the recovery sticks. It's still. I think we we see signs of it, and uh, but at this point, it's 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 a little bit choppy. So, I would say you know stay tuned on that one. I mean we'll we'll see in Q3 and then early Q4. Uh, we'll go through all of our bottom up, top down exercise, and uh, and obviously we need to go to our board and make sure that uh, they approve our capital envelope, but. What, I, what I'm, what I'm going to say to you is the, uh, the big two years of our CapEx investments of 25% of revenue is behind us, and I think that going forward, um, it'll be uh, lower than that. And, and as you know, our historical rate has always been in the 20% range, but, but we'll see. I mean, if we don't need to invest, we won't. And to JJ's point, right now with volumes that we have and the two years of significant investments we've made, we've got plenty of capacity and we're still now putting some this year on very targeted areas in Rupert and very targeted areas in Vancouver. And we have, we're very pleased to have the help in, uh, of the government or the Port of Vancouver. Uh, same thing in, in, uh, in Rupert with the government. So, uh, and those are dealing with specific pinch points that we have. And, um, and uh, again, we, we think of the long term and, and those pinch points uh, has been with us for a long time. We're happy that now we got attention of people to help us, uh, uh, you know, fund for some of these things, and that will create value to us for the next uh, for the next uh, five, ten, fifteen years. Yeah, we love to find projects like this project at a very good return, and we love to find projects where the capital, this this capital for 2021, that slice of 150 million dollars is already approved by the board, so we can place the order here in the coming weeks. And what's important is. The asset will come to us at the time we need it, first week of January. 
So it'll be accredited to the next winter uh, movement of grain, which is typically peak time. And we're also going to be accredited to the fall of 2021, which is also a peak time. So it's capital that will go to work right in the first two weeks of the year. JJ, I might, might just add there, you know, from an operational efficiency standpoint, we'll be able to move 8% more cars on the same length train that we do now with these new cars and move an additional 20 to 30% more grain, depending on the commodity per train. So, so we get immediate benefits from it. It creates corridor capacity right away. Thank you for your question, Selden. Thank you. The next question is from John Chappelle from Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, JJ, you faced three pretty unique challenges in the last three quarters with the strike, the blockades, and the uh, and the really steep recession, and, and you've managed it incredibly well. As you look to headwinds maybe finally becoming tailwinds for the first time in a year, how do you feel about the capacity, service, um, customer positioning, and wins uh, to return to growth and, and really to grow the bottom line uh, at a greater pace than even the top line when the car loads in flex? Yeah. Well, it definitely has been special time between uh, our labor disruption in November, uh, the rail blockade where we felt uh, you know, we, we weren't getting a whole lot of support even, even though we had injunction everywhere, and then right away having the pandemic. I think what it shows is CN resiliency is very strong. I mean, the management team that we have, but down to people who run train, people who run trains during the pandemic, people who are a lot of people had the opportunity to stay home because of, uh, you know, we're safer at home. We had to work very hard to make the working conditions such that everybody would keep coming to work. And by the way, even though our headquarters is somewhat empty, a lot of us kept coming in here. On average, I think we had 200 people report in this building here every day from day one, and they still report to work every day since uh, the beginning of this pandemic. So what it does, it creates confidence. I think it creates confidence that we can uh, do with whatever comes at us, whether we have a second wave of pandemic, which is possible, and we're ready and prepared for that, or we have a strong recovery, which we're ready and prepared for and hoping for. Uh, that would be a good thing. But uh, we don't plan for the best. We plan for the worst, but then are ready to be exploiting whatever might come at us. CN is focused on growth. Eh? So we are, we are always thinking in, in, in that line. So as much as we work on our costs, because be a cost leader is quite, effect, quite important, we're also working on a pipeline of inorganic growth. And you heard that we have a new chief strategy officer at, at CN. And uh, Maureen, one of our board members, is heading a new uh, board committee on long-term strategy. And these two things are ready to address some of the fundamental challenge there is in the railroad is, yes, from time to time we'll have disruption, pandemic, rail strike, or, or, uh, or blockade. But the real fundamental issue is how do we grow long-term as an industry beyond coal, beyond the cyclicality of crude? And some of that has to come from inorganic growth, has to come from initiative that we need to initiate as opposed to wait for customers to bring business to us. So I think putting all that in is kind of where we're at right now is uh, we have our eyes on the short term, but we also have a lot of specific effort on the long term. And I did mention earlier that Rob should get help over the next uh, few months here uh, in terms of uh, other talent joining CN that will help us really beef up the technology side. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Jason Salo from Cohen. Please go ahead. 
thank you, Operator. Uh, I think you guys before talked about some of the shops and locations that you've idled, uh, you know, due to the uh, slowdown from COVID. Can you talk about the outlook on when you think you're going to be reopening them as business comes back and how we should think about those costs as they layer through the quarters? So Rob has had uh, merchandise yard, shops. Uh, Rob, you want to take that? Yeah, sure will. I think I mentioned it there in the beginning, that that's part of our structural changes. So, you know, we don't anticipate opening those up uh, again. If if uh, it certainly won't be anytime soon, it'll take something more than what's going on right now. There was what also we, some yards, right? That we absolutely, yeah. We, yeah. we shut uh, four yards and, and four or five shops down. So what we've seen with the, the rationalization of our, our locomotive footprint, it actually gets locomotives in the right place to begin with, gets it to where our materials and inventory, online inventory is, actually reduces materials in the long run by having it there, and, and we're seeing it in terms of uh, reliability and availability, in terms of getting the locomotives in the right shop with the right people to work on them and getting them back in service. So we see it as structural. Appreciate okay, the question, it, Jason. Yeah, so the, these were – so okay, so those were closed, because I think you used the words closed and idled, and I didn't know if they were um, – some could be reopened. So these are closed permanently then? Yeah, that's permanent. And, and along those lines, you could see the same logic as to why we are doing – uh, putting for sale some short line is uh, it's, that's also a structural change along the line of uh, you know idling or closing some merchandise yard and or shop is uh, when we look at a U.S. network we decided that some part of the network uh, is better in the hand of others and that's also part of uh, looking out the long term for PSR uh, you know that's part of the decision why we did that at this time uh, back in uh, this quarter. Do you think, think those sales will close this year? Uh, uh, well, I think we. Just saying, you want to? Well, I mean, we'll do our best. Well, we're hoping, uh, obviously. But uh, as I said, we've we've hired uh, bankers to help us package this thing, and and you know, we will be very disciplined and uh, and auction uh, go out and auction out and so on, and uh, and um, we'll see how we'll see how it's going to go. So. Uh, uh, if we can close this year, you know, trust me, we will. Yeah. Uh, but we want to be disciplined, and we want we want to be we want to have the best value for them, um, because again, remember that this business will continue to be fed on our main line. So we need to have the best operator uh, to come in because they will continue to manage these uh, non-core uh, lines, and that business will come to us on our main line. So uh, I think uh, we're quite pleased about this, and. Um, and uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I think realistically, six months might be a little short time. Six to 12 months, uh, this, these things should come together. But the key is to be disciplined, and the key is to have a good auction process, and the key is to maximize the value and get the right operator. That's the key. All right. Appreciate you, the time, gentlemen. Stay safe. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. The next question is from Alison Landry from Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Oh, thanks for squeezing me in. Um, so, we, hi. Um, so the, the dwell numbers have deteriorated pretty meaningfully year over year, and, and also versus 2018 in the last several weeks. And you know, velocity cars aligned are going the wrong direction. Um, presumably, this is at least partly driven by the uptick in volumes. But is there is there something from a mix standpoint, or your focus on train length and weight of the, the selective yard closures that are that are driving this deterioration, and, and how do we reconcile these weekly public metrics with, with the structural improvements that, that you made in the quarter, and um, if you could just, you know, sort of speak to where you are from a network fluidity standpoint. Yeah. Thank you. So, so Rob, we'll pick it up, but what we did on Dwell was a conscious decision 
as it relates to how we optimize costs. Rob? Yeah, thanks for the question, uh, Allison. I'd love to answer that one. And it really, from my perspective, it's not a concern. In fact, it was part of our planned response to the significant volume drops we saw here in the quarter. When you look at the increase in dwell, we have on a very low base to begin with, so you've got to take that into consideration. We're talking about adding an hour or so to the car cycle that's measured in days and sometimes weeks when it goes offline to other railroads. And then you look at uh, what we were able to do with train length and train weight, all-time records. Bigger trains drive greater fuel efficiency and utilization of our locomotives. And as a result, we were able to reduce crew starts 21%, greater than volume reduction. Our active online inventory was reduced as much as 20% in a quarter, so increased well did not drive additional cars online. Train velocity improved 5%. It's a big part of a car cycle, so we made up time there. And, uh, you know, then you look at our employee product, productivity, ecl eclipsed all-time highs from a service standpoint, three straight months of delivering all-time grain uh, to, the PN to, the, uh, to the ports. And then our domestic intermodal service really has never run better. So um, we made the right calls in the quarter, and we'll continue to uh, focus in on what's important. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Tom Waterwitz from UBS. UBS, please go ahead. Hello, Tom. <clears throat> Hello, Tom. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for the uh, question. Um, I, I want you know you've talked about I think some optimism on intermodal improving the international intermodal and, and some you know constructive commentary on the sailings that you see happening in third quarter. Uh, obviously, you have uh, you know quite a few longer term drivers. Of growth, I was just wondering if you could give some broad comments on, you know, how you would think about volumes in third quarter or fourth quarter. Can you, you know, should we think about volumes down mid-single and third? And, you know, is there any chance you could, uh, a path that you could get to volume growth in fourth quarter? Um, you know, obviously I recognize there's not a lot of visibility, but just wanted to see if you could offer some broader thoughts on uh, how volumes might play out in the second half. Yeah, maybe I can start and. and uh Keith can uh, chime in. So import is strong. Uh, export is not as strong. Uh, comment made earlier by Keith that we have more loaders. Loaders is basically the reverse of a blank. When, uh, uh, when, it, when shipping line add loaders, I mean they're actually adding vessel in the schedule because of the strong import, but the export is not as strong right now from North America. You want to look out in time, see the next few months, what things look like, Keith? Yeah, um, you know, as uh, as JJ said, uh, the the addition of these uh, extra loaders is uh, kind of the reverse of the blanks, and and that's a positive thing for us. And in talking to several of our customers, uh, whether they're uh, North American based or overseas, um, you know, they've done a really good job managing their capacity, and they've done a really good job of uh, creating a market where they've been able to keep the rates in uh, in, in good stead. So. Um, there is pent-up demand right now. There is, we are kind of in a peak season, I would say, right now. And um, if the discretionary income of the people that are doing all this buying, whether it's at uh, um, the um, home, uh, the, uh, um, the DIY uh, folks uh, that are uh, putting in the decks or painting, you know, if that keeps up, um, and if uh, the strong 
business that we've been handling, like the uh, refrigerated goods that are that are happening now, whether we're in a pandemic or not, that I think that's going to continue to grow with what we brought on with Transex and H&R and our other wholesale partners that are keeping that business strong. Um, I, I don't think that we're going to see, unless there's another, another uh, wave of the pandemic, I think that our, the contacts that I talked to, they're seeing it stay strong into at least in the beginning of the fourth quarter. We'll see how it goes, but that's kind of what we're planning for right now with them um, as they give us a, a heads up over the next two to three months. Yeah. There is a surge from uh, the retailer, which is reflecting back in the shipping line and back into the port activities into a different consumption, which is I would call it the stay-at-home consumption. People are building a deck. They're renovating their house. They're painting. They're spending money in their backyard. They're putting a pool where, I mean, these are the things that there's a higher amount of disposable income that goes into it. So some supply chain are out of whack. Some supply chain and warehouse is full because people don't want to buy those stuff. And some other warehouse that relate to what I just said, you know, sort of the stay-at-home expense around the house and around the backyard. I mean, these supply chains are empty, and you try to get a barbecue, you may not quite get the kind that you're looking for. You're just going to have to buy whatever is left at, uh, at Home Depot. So we see some of that, too, where some, some container needs to move fast because of uh, consumers spending his money differently this summer. Thank you for the question. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I would like to turn the meeting back over to Mr. Rue. Well, thank, thank you, operator. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Maybe I can just uh, use some uh, closing comments. We're very proud of our end-of-quarter result here. The team has been able to do the best of uh, what came at us very quickly. We kept everybody safe. Uh, we, we unfortunately had to do quite a few layoffs. Good news is we start to recall some people back to work. We also start to get some re some asset back in the in the, in the, in the business. You see from our Carlton and RTM every week that there is some sequential growth. Uh, you know we would love to see more of it, uh, but you know we'll track the, the the economy. In the meantime, Rob is working very hard on his costs, and we're very really staying focused on a long term business. I mentioned the work that we do on strategy and the work that we're doing with, uh, you know, things related to inorganic growth, which have uh, nothing to do with uh, most of what we talked about here today. So stay tuned. CN is ready for anything, whether we have a slow recovery or second wave of pandemic or a better, better business look outlook sometime in October, November. So we'll see. Thank you for joining us today. This is the end of the call. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.